Welcome to episode 114 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we're taking a look at Kitsune Gai, Season 5, Episode 8, original air date January 14th, 1997. The IMDb user score has risen from 7.8 to 8.0 out of 10, and the action primarily takes place in the state of Virginia. This is the fourth of five episodes directed by Daniel Sackheim. His previous episodes were Deep Throat, Conduit, and The Host. The episode was written by Vince Gilligan and Tim Minear. Now, Vince Gilligan is old hat. We know his work pretty well at this point. But this is the first of two episodes that Tim Minear writes or co-writes for the series. Minear is probably best known for his work on Angel, Dollhouse, and Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, as well as, more recently, The American Horror Story. Now, in this episode... Pusher, a.k.a. Robert Patrick Mondell, is recovering from his head wound in a prison hospital and escapes from the prison without actually killing anyone, even though he does seem to be responsible for the deaths of several people outside the prison grounds. Mulder is bothered by this change in M.O. where he let the prison guards live and feels something's wrong, but he doesn't realize that's because Mondell is covering for someone else, specifically one of his victim's widows until after he meets Modell face-to-face. So nobody believes him, because they figure Modell just told him and forced him to believe it. They do ultimately prove that Linda Bowman, the victim's widow, was secretly Modell's twin sister, separated at birth, who just recently learned of the connection they had, and was taking revenge on those that hurt her brother. Ultimately, she is brought down when she's shot by Scully as well. But only after... She tries to convince Mulder to shoot Scully, thinking it's her. This is only the second time that we've seen a so-called Monster of the Week return on the series, following Eugene Victor Toombs. Other than that, there's not a lot to set it apart in terms of the trivia. There's actually very little trivia to find about it, aside from the fact that they weren't really comfortable, because when they were putting this together, it took them a long time to figure out how to end the episode, to the point that they were already on location, and Sakam was going, okay, how does this end? and the writers didn't have an answer yet. Now, as far as the science is concerned, there are major issues. I do appreciate that they wrote in a need for high-carbohydrate diets, as that would justify at least some of the energy needed to transmit telepathically. But how does this work? Is this really telepathy? How does the talking help? Is it just the talking? Is If the pusher just lowers your own free will to open you up to suggestion, then you'd be just as open to friends and family telling you that he's manipulating you. So it's got to be something in what he's actually saying, but that's just sound, right? It's compressions and rarefactions in the air. There's no sign that there's anything unusual in his vocal cords. Everything is related to his brain tumor, apparently. So if the speaking isn't required, then it would just be a crutch, and it's something he's learned or has convinced himself he has to do in order to use his abilities, and he actually could impose his will on people without it. But then why does his twin sister have the same crutch? Is it because she didn't even realize she had the ability until she visited him in prison and he told her what he could do or showed her? There's just so many open questions here about the history between the two of them and how they were able to have these conversations with her posing as a nun. It's just, there's just so many gray areas and so many open areas that don't have answers. In order to talk about this from the science perspective, well, we don't really need to know their history for that. What we know is that he can override one's free will. But in that case, we must first establish that free will is a real thing and not just some illusion in a deterministic universe where every choice is dictated by the 
biology, chemistry, and physics of how neurons react to stimulus brought along the nerve endings from the outside world. Even then, if free will does exist, which raises massive questions of its own in a seemingly deterministic universe, well, then we'd have to propose a way to influence it from a distant. And that's another monumental explanation. So that doesn't mean that this works or is plausible just because there's so many gray areas and so many unknown questions about free will. It just means that we, we know we don't have any precedent for being able to exert free will on people. You can make something of a case for hypnosis, but that doesn't work on everyone, and it never works this well. All hypnosis seems to be able to reliably do is convince a certain subset of the population to make decisions that they would have been prone to making anyway. In any event, to prove that this does work would require precedent. There isn't any, and there's just no reliable mechanism in here for why this would work. Even though the area is actually pretty poorly understood, that just doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. Anyway, that's about all we have to say about Kitsunegari. Join us back here in two weeks for Schizogeny. Thank you for listening.